Welcome to the She Yearns Podcast. I am Cherry Strange, and I am so thankful you have joined us today. Thank you for being a part of this community. The She Yearns community exists to lead women to desire more of God in everyday life, making Him evident and desirable to others. Welcome to the podcast. It's that time of year. Changes here whether we want it or not. I was greeted this morning with a precious text from a dear friend about how in just a matter of days life is changing. It will never be the same. Not really. She knows God's faithful and everything is as it should be. But my friend is on the brink of something different. It's a new season. I don't know if that is where you can find yourself now or in the next days. But new and different seasons often draw out longings and determinations within. We tend to evaluate where we are or where we want to go. We see other people where we want to be or with qualities we wish to emulate. We give it our best efforts, but there remains elements of life through which we have tried to be successful. You know it's true time and time again. Yet again, we fall short. Maybe it's your diet. Maybe it's your schedule. Maybe it's your exercise regiment or your ability to find a balance between all of those things. How many times have you had good intentions to buckle down and really get focused about your spiritual life? You see other people able to do this, benefiting from such intimacy with God. You see it. You've even bought a pretty journal or a new Bible that's got all the journaling things on the side. Maybe even a special coffee mug. I know you do this because they sell a gazillion of them in the stores. Or at least you've thought about it or bought it for somebody else thinking that maybe these efforts will help motivate you to bring you to the table more or sit on the couch more. Maybe you're going to look like one of those pictures that people post on Instagram or Pinterest. But still, the schedule is happening around you and your best efforts to be consistent in your daily Bible reading and time with the Lord have been lost to the urgent. The drive and desire is there to a degree. But the question remains, how do I do that? That's the new series we're going to be doing. How do I do that? We're going to look at different elements. Today's is a little lengthy, so I'm going to divide it in two parts. We're going to cover two points, and then next week we'll pick it up and finish it out. Today we're going to talk about just this scenario when you want to sit down with your coffee mug and your journal and your Bible. You want to know how you do that. Where's the drive and the motivation and the cause to bring you to that place? How do I read the Bible? Sometimes it's a bit more foundational than a coffee mug or a new fancy journal. We might need to answer a different question first. Do I want it to have any effect on my life? That is the primary question. The answer to this question, do I want it to have any effect on my life, determines how you read the Bible. In general, people have approached scripture in really one of three ways that illuminates what, if any impact or effect, the Bible will have on their lives. One option centers around 
a human spiritual experience. God's authority over our attitudes and behaviors and what we believe as his will for our lives lies in subjective opinion of the individual. Personal experience determines God's will. In this view, scriptures are authoritative only to the extent that they are in harmony with human reasoning. So, this person who sits down with her awesome coffee mug and fancy journal accepts that scripture speaks truth. She can only accept these truths to be taken authoritatively when they line up with human reasoning and knowledge. Her belief is that God's will for our lives lies in subjective opinion of the individual because personal experience plays so much of a role in determining God's will. Now, you may not be able to articulate this, but there may be some elements of that perspective that influence how you approach your personal Bible reading and how you approach the Bible. If I read scripture holding this perspective. It will determine how I answer, how do I do that? In terms of reading the Bible and my own personal devotion to Christ. The second option finds biblical authority in conjunction with the church. Their two are connected. There is a long tradition of tradition playing a separate but pretty much equal role alongside the Bible. Some of you may have experience with this joining through possibly the Catholic Church or another church. Pope John Paul II sort of asserted this fusion a few years ago. He said that the divine revelation of the gospel is transmitted in two forms. The two forms are sacred scripture and tradition. And he basically took this from a catechism from a council, the Second Vatican Ecumenical Council, that states this, sacred tradition and sacred scripture then are bound closely together and communicate with one another. For both of them, flowing out from the same divine wellspring, come together in some fashion to form one thing and moves toward the same goal. It further explains in this catechism, sacred scripture is the speech of God as it is put down in writing under the breath of the Holy Spirit and holy tradition transmits in its entirety the word of God, which has been entrusted to the apostles of Christ the Lord and the Holy Spirit. It transmits it to the successors of the apostles, which is the church, so that enlightened by the spirit of truth, they may faithfully preserve, expound, and spread it abroad by their teaching. For the person sitting with her coffee mug and her awesome new journal, what does all this mean? If you come from that perspective, where both are equal. It means that scripture is only one of two authoritative sources. God's word is only part of it. The church has been established as the successor of the apostles and the authority to give an authentic interpretation of the Word of God, which is considered to be infallible truth, they are the necessary mediators between Scripture and you. And that's the way it's been set up. If I read Scripture holding to this perspective, if this is my history, this is my tradition, this is my religion, it will most definitely determine how I answer, how do I do that? In terms of reading the Bible in my own personal devotion to Christ, it is only part of what I need to guide my life. The third option stands in stark contrast to this previous perspective and really can be summed up in two words, Scripture alone. 
sola scriptura. This perspective is crafted from the French Confession of Faith from 1559. The basic premise is that the work of Christ did away with the need for what man has tried to create to get to God and his Holy Spirit presents Christ's authority to God's people through scripture alone. Listen to these words, sola scriptura from the French Confession. We believe that the word contained in these books have proceeded from God and receives its authority from him alone and not from men. And inasmuch as it is in the rule of all truth, containing all that is necessary for the service of God and for our salvation, it is not lawful for men nor even for angels to add to it or to take away from it or to change it. Whence it follows that no authority, whether of antiquity or custom or numbers or human wisdom or judgments or proclamations or edicts or decrees or councils or visions or miracles should be opposed to these holy scriptures. But on the contrary, all things should be examined, regulated, and reformed according to them. The Bible is clear. We are not to take away or add to what is found within the Bible, that book. That means it doesn't matter what I have experienced or what I think or what the church professes or how many hypocrites call themselves Christians or what my favorite pastor does, says, or doesn't do. What matters from this perspective is that I know what God says and I examine all of these other things against what God says. The person who sits down with her awesome coffee mug and her fantastic journal accepts that scripture speaks truth through the voices of fallible humans who were instructed to write down the very words of God. And when she reads it, the Holy Spirit reveals truth to her to be taken authoritatively into her life and he will lead her in the will of God for her life. If I read scripture holding to this perspective, it will determine how I answer the question, how do I do that? In terms of reading the Bible in my own personal devotion to Christ. Your perspective in approaching scripture will have everything to do with answering the question, how do I read the Bible? Because you're going to have to determine what perspective you're going to hold if you want it to have any impact on you. If you want it to have any impact, you will need to read it as the ultimate authority in your life. What does that mean? It means that the Bible houses the very words of God and contains all truth necessary for salvation and the spiritual life. Nothing more is required or necessary for salvation or godliness. We have this clearly in Scripture. We have it in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Deuteronomy 30 and 32 says these things. 32 says, For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. That's verse 47. And in 30, 20, he says, For he is your life and length of days. Talking about God. The New Testament, 2 Peter 1, 3, sums it up. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Sola Scriptura means that the average believer can understand the Bible and lead a life of obedience to God. We don't need a Bible degree. We don't need someone in the church to interpret it for us. The Holy Spirit speaks through scripture to every believer who will put themselves in the place to receive it. How do I read the Bible? First of all, you read it as the ultimate authority in your life. And secondly, you read it for all it's worth. You and I take the ability to purchase a copy of the Bible for 99 cents or download it on our phones for free for granted. Much like 
like we take our freedom in this country for granted. Most people don't even know how we came to have the Bible, much less what it costs to hold it in our hands. And let me just say, it was costly. Allow me to give you a piece of biblical history that you might not know, that is so close to us, it impacts what we hold in our very hands today. Go back, way back with me, let's establish when the Old Testament was written down. Scholars estimate that between 1400 and up to 400 BC, the words were written down. By 250 to 200 BC, remember we're counting backwards, all 39 books of the Old Testament were considered collected and they were translated from Hebrew into Greek and that's called the Septuagint. Jesus arrives on the scene after that. He's crucified, risen from the grave. We have the Holy Spirit. Comes upon every person who believes in him and then a great persecution ensues. The disciples, as Jesus instructed, go and share the gospel message and the New Testament begins to be written and while it is being written from the years about 45 to 85 AD, there are still eyewitnesses in place. So anything that's written down is able to be verified. So we have that jump ahead to 200. There is a horrible man in place, Antiochus Epiphanes, who persecutes the Jews terribly, desecrates the temple, and the books of the law are torn and burned. And anyone possessing any part of them or anybody who obeys them are condemned to death. And then by, I think we jump ahead about another 100 years, the 27 books of the New Testament are put together. By about 50 years after that, Jerome translates the New Testament from Greek into Latin so that the everyday person, if that's imaginable, everyday people were reading Latin. So he translates it so that the ordinary person could read it. But he was accused with tampering with the Word of God and promoting his ideas. But this became the Bible of Europe in that day. So now you have an emperor named Diocletian, and he was really interested in restoring Rome to its former glory days. And to do that, he had to reinstate or make more prominent the pagan religion. He put some edicts in force against Christianity. He aimed the persecution towards Christians. The objective was to rid the Roman Empire of Christianity and the Bible, which he did a lot of damage with. However, it didn't stick because his son comes to power, Constantine, and brings a lot of peace and change to all this. Jump ahead to 600 times change. The Catholic Church has been established and is now a force to be reckoned with. They restricted scripture only to Latin. But by this time, people aren't speaking Latin and the people can't access the Bible. They can't read it for themselves. This gave the church ultimate authority because no one could question them. Although persecution is kind of at bay, it creates a new set of problems. This practice is also very damaging. It kept the people ignorant. It gave the church a lot of power, wealth, and encouraged an environment for corruption which went on for about a thousand years. We can recognize this part of history as maybe the Dark or Middle Ages. Now, fast forward a few hundred years to about 1300 AD and we have a man named John Wycliffe. He is an Oxford University professor. He recognizes that there is this long-standing problem in the Catholic Church with power and abuse of that that the people couldn't have a Bible that they could read for themselves. So he sets out to give the English people a Bible that they could read and begins to translate it from Latin into English. The Catholic Church detested him, called him the forerunner of the Antichrist, said that if anyone possessed a copy of this English Bible, they would be burned at the stake with the Bible tied around their necks. And they did. Behind Wycliffe came a group of his followers called Lollards, 
and they just hand copied this Latin version into English and began taking it all over England and Europe in about 1414 or so. Several of these are burned at the stake as heretics, so it's not going very well. But about the same time as a man named John Hughes, and he agreed with Wycliffe and encouraged people to read the Bible for himself and also opposed the Catholic Church for their corrupt practices of opposing the Word of God. They burned him at the stake. They wrapped the pages of Wycliffe's Bible around his neck in the fire. And the last words that were heard from this man, John Hughes, were, in a hundred years will come a man whose reforms cannot be suppressed. Within a few years, we have something that's revolutionary from a man named Johann Gutenberg. Gutenberg created the printing press, and you might have heard of him, which enabled the Bible to be produced much more quickly and disseminated to the people in many places. And then after him, in about 50 years, you have William Tyndale, which is also a famous name you might know. He comes on the scene to be the first to print the New Testament in English. Again, the greatest opposition he faces is from the church. The priests burned this New Testament as a burnt offering, pleasing to the Almighty. Tyndale's in prison for years. He's finally strangled and burned at the stake. But this is what is so incredible. His last words were, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And God answered his prayer because within three years, King Henry VIII authorized the publication of the Great Bible, which is a combination of Tyndale's version and that of a guy named Miles Coverdale, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And a copy of this Bible was chained to every parish so that people could read it for themselves. That's amazing. Now, here comes someone you will find familiar, Martin Luther. He, too, recognized the authority of Scripture over everything and everyone else. In 1517 A.D., that's when he nailed his 95 Thesis of Contention to the Wittenberg door. He later translated the Latin version into German, making it accessible to the people of that day. Then, about 20 years later, Miles Coverdale finishes the first complete English translation. A lot of progress is made getting the Word of God into the hands of people during this time. The enemy however, will not be satisfied. And we see this in the next 20 years, the reign of Queen Bloody Mary, telling of her name. This is an evil woman. She's not a happy camper about all this spreading the good news, or is she in favor of Protestantism? She burned the next two translators at the stake and had thousands, thousands of people killed for being Protestants rather than Catholics. But her efforts to stomp out Christianity and the power of the Word of God and the lives of believers did not succeed. By 1604, Protestant clergy approached the new king, King James I, and asked for a new scholarly and accurate version of the Bible in English. Behold, the King James Version is born. The next century is wrought with more persecution around the world. We have Voltaire, who is a French humanist, proclaiming 50 years from now the world will hear no more of the Bible. And in actuality, God has a sense of humor. 50 years from then, Bibles were being printed by the Geneva Bible Society in the very house Voltaire had lived in and on Voltaire's printing press. Yes. And then in America, we have a man named Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine wrote something called The Age of Reason. He is believed to have predicted that the Bible would soon be out of print and supposedly said, when I get through, there will not be five Bibles left in America. But honestly, I could not find that quote. I could only find where people have quoted that quote. But what he did do 
was, I know for a fact, wrote this three parts of a pamphlet or book, if you will, and denying the possibilities of miracles, discounting the Bible as the word of God, and dismissing a person's decision to believe in what they cannot see. This is not unusual. What I want you to hear and actually really try to put your mind around and see is that throughout the centuries, people have tried to destroy, squelch, and debunk the words of this book in all sorts of languages. Even the church, they have come from many angles in society, from a sundry opposing belief systems or, or none at all, like our friend Mr. Payne. They cannot. French Protestants, known as Huguenots, portrayed the Bible and Christianity as an anvil surrounded by three blacksmiths hammering. Under the picture, these words are displayed. The more they pound and the more they shout, the more they wear their hammers out. This should not catch us by surprise. It didn't the one who formed the moon and the stars and set the universe in motion. He already provided the words so that we would know that he knew. He already provided it beforehand. He has preserved his very words for you and for your life today and will until Christ returns. We see in Psalm 119, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Long have I known for your testimonies that you have founded them forever. And in Matthew 24, 25, we have heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And then in 1 Peter 1, we have the grass withers and the flowers fall off, but the word of the Lord abides forever. This is just a glimpse of the history oversimplified and neglecting many who sacrificed everything so that you and I could exercise the privilege of not reading the Bible. Today I can buy a copy of this book for 99 cents. You and I could get the impression that the Word of God is cheap, but it's not. It costs the lives of countless people, greater than I, who were willing to give up everything painfully just for reading it, and others who gave their very lives so that I could buy it for 99 cents and read it for myself or download it for free for that matter. How do I read the Bible? If I want it to have any real impact, I read it as the ultimate authority in my life, sola scriptura, and I read it for what it's worth. Today, think about those perspectives that we talked about early on. How do they impact how you read the Bible? Because they will. Do you want the Bible to have any impact on your life? Then it will determine how you do this. It will determine how you read the Bible. I will need to read it as the ultimate authority in my life, sola scriptura. I'm also going to have to read it for what it's worth. How are you going to read the Bible? How are you going to do that as you go out today? I'm looking forward to the rest of this series. We have a couple more points on this. By all means, go get you a pretty cup and a brand new journal so that we can be successful. But before you do, please consider, do you want it to have an effect on you? Because that makes all the difference. I look forward to seeing you next time on the She Yearns Podcast. again for tuning in today. We will be releasing a new episode every week. I would invite you to become a subscriber and it really makes a difference when you share something here that you find helpful or encouraging. You make an impact. You may never understand the value or difference your suggestion or encouragement made in the life of a friend or casual acquaintance just by passing a resource along. So please share what you find here with others. I would personally be grateful. Don't hesitate to like us on Facebook or Twitter or leave a review. For more truth-saturated, gospel-centered, spiritually insightful encouragement, please go to www.sheyearns.com where you will find reading plans, articles, and other resources to help stir a desire for God into your everyday life.